0: Welcome, everybody, to Boxing History 101 on the Grilling Crew Sports Network. I am your host, Mike Goodpaster, and today our subject is going to be Scott Ledoux and his shot at the heavyweight title against Larry Holmes. Now, let's face it. With Larry Holmes, we could do Lorenzo Zanon. We could do Alfredo Evangelista, Ozzy Ocasio. There was a long list of guys who were journeyman French contenders that got a shot at the heavyweight championship of the world. But those guys weren't as colorful. They weren't as interesting to me as Scott Ledoux. Now, until the lead-up to his challenge of Larry Holmes for the WBC Heavyweight Championship, Scott Ledoux was best known for throwing a fit on national TV, one that culminated in Howard Cosell wrestling with his own toupee at ringside. After losing a horrible decision to Johnny Boudreaux, an angry Ledoux lashed out at the evil forces, so familiar even then. Now, Howard's toupee in the early stages of an interview with George Foreman and Cosell, Johnny Boudreau was in the early stages of being interviewed when Scott Ladoux struck unexpectedly from the ring apron. Leaning through the ropes, the fighting Frenchman swiped at Boudreau, setting off a melee witnessed by millions of viewers across the country and far more entertaining than the mundane fight that had just taken place, and the ensuing tussle. Cosell saw his hairpiece ripped from his dome, almost Looney Tunes style, as he had stuck his finger in an electrical outlet, similar to Don King. Now, this was in 1977, during the rotten to the core US Championships tournament. A Don King Supercon sold to ABC TV with the help of his old backroom henchmen, Patty Floyd and Al Breverman, along with the crooked assist from the ring and his editorial quizzling, Johnny Ort. The tournament was held to showcase Don King fighters, which Ledoux was not. Boudreaux, unsurprisingly, was. Now, to a lot of people, Scott Ledoux would be considered a bum. But really, nobody should ever consider any professional boxer a bum. Ever. The courage to enter the ring is extra- extraordinary. Ledoux was slow, plodding, and by no means a big puncher. But he got the most out of his ability and had an accomplished career with some really nice wins and some really close disputable losses against top heavyweight contenders. Now, he was from Minnesota. Now, he came up at the same time as Dwayne Bobby did, so a rivalry was a natural thing. The duo fought twice with Bobby winning both fights. Bobby was a talented boxer who had problems with guys with punching power, which was Ledoux's weakness. He punched with his arms. He wasn't a big puncher. Now, Bobbick would go on to fight in the Olympics in the medal round and get knocked out in less than a round by, by Taylor Field Stevenson. To get to this point, I mean, he knocked out, he made Larry Holmes quit in the ring. So Bobbick was a talented guy. He just had one huge fall and he couldn't take a punch. Now, Scott LaDue came on the scene in 1977. He fought Olympic gold medalist Leon Spinks to a hotly disputed draw. Spikes would go on to upset Muhammad Ali, and a Ledoux fan cannot help but wonder if Ledoux gets the decision that maybe he would have went against an unmotivated Ali, like Spikes did. Instead, Ledoux continued on, and in 1979, landed a shot against veteran heavyweight contender Ron Lyle. Once again, a disputed decision, I believe it was on NBC, would be Ledoux's undoing. Ledoux floored Lyle in the third round and followed with a right cross to put the Denver boxer into the ropes again. From then on, it was a comfort behind effort for Lyle, and only one point separated the fighters on the judges' scorecards at the end. Lyle was unmarked while Ledoux bled from his nose, a cut above his nose. His right eye was almost closed as well. Most observers thought Ledux deserved the decision, but as often was the case during his career, it was not to be. Now, three months later, Ledoux would get another big-time chance against Ken Norton. After a slow start, Scott controlled the end of the fight. It was close to stopping Norton, but when the decision was announced as a draw, Ledoux again came within an arm's reach of a signature win. And that's a fight that really, I mean, I got a picture on the wall here that was autographed by Scott with Norton on the ground, Ledoux with his hands up, a lot of people thought the fight was over. Leduc had got the win, and this is a point when Ken Norton was still ranked in the top five. Mike Weaver came next. This is the Mike Weaver after he almost upset Larry Holmes for the heavyweight championship. This was not like the Norton and Lyle fights. Weaver was in his prime, and he dominated Leduc. It looked like it might be the end of the road for Leduc, but the feisty Frenchman was not going to give up that easily. Ledoux was scheduled to rematch Ron Lyle, but Lyle pulled out of the fight, leaving Ledoux to battle the young and -and up-and-coming Marty Monroe on national television. If I remember correctly, it was CBS's Sports Spectacular. Ledoux won a fairly comfortable decision and was somehow in line to fight for a major title. The reason he got the title shot was not about deserving it. It was actually more complicated than that, and anything that includes Don King is always more complicated than that. Now, on April 16th, Muhammad Ali held a press conference at the Beverly Hills Wilshire Hotel to announce that he would be bypassing the dear anonymous WBA champion Mike Weaver and instead challenging Larry Holmes for the WBC title. The site? A stadium in Rio de Janeiro. The date? July 7th. The spoils a potential purse of more than $8 million for the most famous athlete in history. It sounds too good to be true, Ali said. But the fight is on, no question about it. A few weeks later, after Prime Sports Inc., represented by Murad Muhammad, a former Ali bodyguard, eventually immortalized by Don King as the stupidest man in boxing, failed to meet certain financial stipulations. Holmes Ali vanished, like a bit from a David Copperfield ABC special at the time. That left Don King scrambling for an opponent to face Holmes on primetime television. In that sense, Lady Luck finally found her way up north where Scott Ledoux was brooding about his permanent status as a club fighter, a term he loathed, he absolutely hated that term. Twice Ledoux had played gatecrasher at title fights, heckling Holmes from the crowd at press conferences following his successful defense against Alfredo Evangelista and the fat undefeated Leroy Jones. Now, although Ledoux posed no threat to Holmes, he was solid box office in Minnesota. And had built a national profile when headlining fights televised on ABC, NBC, CBS. And the great white hope angle, while predictable, was irresistible to Don King, who immediately labeled Ledoux the American dream. At a press conference to announce the fight, King fantasized aloud about the possibility of Ledoux upsetting Holmes. Being that he's white, blonde, and blue-eyed, it would be tremendous, he cooed. It was send boxing through the roof. Even the Eskimos and the Igloos would be talking in their Eskimoese about Scott Ledoux. Even for his long shot chance at history, Ledoux remained grassroots. He trained in his garage in Anoka, Minnesota with a minuscule 13-foot ring, which took up most of the space of the garage. His sparring partners were his old friends, although occasionally his manager would go around a round or two in the ring until he was exhausted by the effort. From time to time, Ledoux would headbutt the heavy bag with zest, sharpening his dirty tactics for the fight. He was a regular at a Minneapolis bar, the king of clubs, where the patrons razzed him about his lack of defense. This folksy regime was camp, with catnip to newspapers, who saw it in a way to link the underdog trope popularized by Rocky. Of course, the fact that Rocky Balboa trained in a teeming inner city gym was never mentioned wouldn't fit the narrative. So Ledoux was the subject of a human interest features across America. He had been a sickly child who had grown into a scrawny teen at the mercy of his schoolmates. All right, His mother used to say, I don't know how you ever won any fights, Ledoux told the New York Times. You never won any when you lived here. Now, Ledoux won his first fight when he was in the 11th grade, he said. He must have been 0 and 40 by then. Now, the Rocky story back then was huge. You know, Rocky II had just come out, I think, in 1979. The scene was set like it was out of a movie. Holmes Ledoux on national television. In the Underdog's hometown, could Ledoux shock the world? I can tell you this. I was a big Ledoux fan. I don't know why. I was probably 11 or 12 year old. 12 years old when I saw this fight. And I remember being all jacked up because I thought Scott Ledoux was going to do what Rocky Balboa did. And I remember riding home with my dad. The night of the fight, and he just looked at me and he said, Son, there's levels to this. Scott Ladue has no chance. And from the sound of the opening bell, still echoing through the med center, it became clear that my dad was right. And Scott Ledoux was as overmatched in this lopsided pre as these lopsided pre fight odds had indicated. Where Holmes was fast, smooth, coordinated, and energetic, Ladue was ponderous, herky jerky, cumbersome, and listless. To keep Holmes slightly off balance, Ledoux had adopted a more defensive style, slicking clumsily around the ring, hoping he had said to reach Holmes in the later rounds. He would never reach the late, home, late rounds as Holmes slowly beat the fight out of Ledoux. The fight would mercifully be stopped in the seventh round. Ledoux and the crowd were incredulous that the fight had been halted, but it was going to end badly for Ledoux, no matter if it continued or not. Now, Ledoux would never get a significant win again, as he would become just a stepping stone to heavyweights like Frank Bruno and Greg Page. He lost to Greg Page brutally, and I think it was the third or fourth round, at the drama in the Bahamas on the undercard of Ali and Burby. Now, I will make the case that nobody with less talent has gotten the opportunities that Ledoux did, making Ledoux's story unique. He was screwed over more than most. But his perseverance eventually led him to the place he wanted to be, in the ring, fighting for the greatest title in all of sports. So, Scott Ledoux also. I remember the big story from Holmes LaDue, the pre-fight by Howard Cosell, talking about LaDue's wife who had cancer. I know she passed away. He remarried, and I think that woman passed away, too, from cancer. But. In the end, Scott LaDue is an American tragic sports figure. He got ALS. He was a politician in Minnesota. He eventually succumbed to ALS and passed away. But I guarantee you this, just like against Larry Holmes, even though the fight was hopeless, Scott LaDue always gave everything he had in the ring, and he fought until his last ounce of energy was gone. That is the story of Scott LaDue, guys. Once again, I'm Mike Good Pastor. Make sure you follow us on the Grilling Truth at Grueling Truth. Make sure you like subscribe to us on Facebook. But for now, I'm Mike Good Pastor. You've been watching and listening to the Grueling Truth, where the legends speak. What's up, mom?